just want to be an encouragement today. Just uh, I felt the Lord pressing on me to, uh, you know, we all have, we have this one moment. We don't have yesterday or we don't know what tomorrow is. We have this one moment that we're going to go through anyhow. And so we have that one, that one time or one chance to give God the glory and to, if it's suffering, to suffer well. If it's joy, praise, to do it well. And we're going to go through it. We're going to look back on it. And it might as well be for his glory. But I just, something struck me. Um, might be a little bit random, but uh, something Lindsay posted with, with Jensen and Gideon on the horse. I don't know if anybody saw that, but just the expression on their face, the joy. And it brought back something to me, and I think it's relevant. But 15 years ago, I used to sit in uh, sit in my office. I'd look out the window, and we had a 10-acre field out there, and I'd see my daughters come out of the woods on their horses. Just the horses had their heads stretched out like they do. Next, just as fast as they go, competing to see who could get back to the barn. And just the picture of these young girls sitting on there, their hair blown in the wind, the manes. The horse's manes just full tilt, oblivious to the danger. And that to me was a picture of what it lives, what it means to live life to the fullest. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with a horse riding it full tilt like that. But it's all fun until they sidestep. And then all of a sudden you're looking down at what should be a saddle to a horse and it's just air. And somehow or another you will yourself back into that saddle and then you realize how risky it really was. And it just, it just said into me this morning that you know that's what it means to really serve God, to be full out for Him. It's you get the best and you're the closest to the battle but that's what I'd want for everybody, to live fullest in, in spite of the risk. And then to be able to get my age, get Bill's age, get older, and be able to look back at that and say, yeah, it was hard, but I suffered well, I, I praised him well. Just live on the edge. So I hope that's at least somewhat encouraging. Thank you, bro. John's come a long way, haven't you, bro? Everybody has in here. Amen. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for those that you've met this morning. And I pray that the continuation of what you've done in them would have its work to such a degree, Lord, that it would be a blessing to other people. That uh, what you've worked in the hearts of your people this morning and what you're going to continue to work is such an amazing force to be reckoned with that in the future, Father, many disciples will be blessed and encouraged by what you're doing in them this morning because you don't just work one time. Everything you do has a ripple. So let it be to your glory and to your praise, Father, for everything you're doing. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hannah. I just want, to, I just want you guys to... I'm, I'm, I want to brag on Hannah here. Hannah's not our piano player, but she did a great job, didn't she? 
<laughs> See, she, she usually plays violin. And so she was a little stressed out this morning, but the Lord was good in her. So give Jesus a hand in, in Hannah. <laughs> Thank you. It blesses me to see people push themselves. Because excuses are easy. There's always an excuse. There's always a reason to not push yourself in the Lord. Amen? All right. Um, most of the kids are gone, right? That was, that was the quietest exit I've ever seen. Is there just not many of them this morning? Wow. Impressive. Well, I'm glad you're here. Those of you who are new, be patient with us. Um, I'm going to be, I'll do my best to accommodate what you know to be church, and uh, then I'll preach the gospel, okay? Um, I'm kidding. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we just love the Lord, and we're trying hard. To, to, to be what he wants us to be. Amen. I want to remind you guys, uh, we, we have our little diaper drive coming up, so please don't forget. How many of you guys have had a chance to pick up some diapers for the event? A few people? Okay. Um, if that's on your heart, uh, the 10th of December, from 12 to 2, we're going to be set up out here, and we're going to try to bless um, people, um, especially, hopefully, single mothers, uh, with diapers so they can... Um, uh, not have to worry about that extra bill for, for the month of December and um, be maybe have a little more income to bless their kids over Christmas. So if you're out shopping, we, we really would and could use some help. You know, if, if all of it falls on the church, we don't make a lot of money here. But if all of it falls on the church, we'll do that. But it will set us back. So if it's on your heart, um, and I don't mean to manipulate you, but if it's on your heart at all, uh, maybe set an alert or something throughout the week. Maybe pick up diapers on your phone or something so that way you don't forget. I know we're all busy, and I know that, that many people are like, oh, shoot, I wanted to do that, but I've totally forgotten, and I get it. Life is just absolutely nuts. Um, but if that is on your heart, then, then bring them in Sunday mornings, and we will get, give those away. All right. Ephesians. Amen? Uh, it's always difficult jumping in midstream. So if you haven't been here the last two months, um, you're jumping in midstream. And uh, we are going through Ephesians verse by verse, okay? Um, how many of you have been here? This has helped you already? Oh, yeah. All right. Is there a way that you're looking at Scripture a little differently? Yes. Praise God. I've said it before, and for the new people, I'll say it again. If the entire Bible was taken away from us and we were only left with the book of Ephesians, we would have enough from the heart of the Lord, not only on how to engage who we are in Him, but also in what He's called us to do, our relationship with one another, and how we're supposed to build the kingdom of God and affect darkness in, in a way that brings forth His glory. Amen? I mean, you guys seeing that. Uh, it's not that the rest of the Word of God isn't important. It is. I'm not saying that, that we should only focus on this, but this is where the Lord has us. And we've gotten down to a verse 11 so far, and uh, we went through maybe a few verses last week. 
But the idea that we're angling our approach into Ephesians, and please pray for, let's just pray now, Lord, release your word. Let it have its purpose in your people because no one is sufficient for your word but you because it is your word. And we are doing our best, Father, by the Holy Spirit to be dependent not only to speak it, but to hear it, to receive it, and to release it. Because if your word is not released, then there is a people who is suffering without the wind and the grace of the Father over their life. So Lord, we need you. This is not just church. The church is not a meeting. It's a body of believers who are filled and clothed with the word of God. So Lord, magnify yourself because you alone can do what you've called us to do. And we need you. Give us the mind of the Spirit as we take part in your word. May it be a lamp and a light. May it be an encouragement. Father, help us. And we believe you are and you will. In Jesus' name. Verse 11, Ephesians 4. We talked about the last few weeks the importance of meekness and the importance of grace over our life so that the fivefold gifts can be operative in the church. Does this make sense to you? If grace and meekness are not prevalent in those who carry the offices and the gifts, which is everybody in the body, then the gifts will become the abusive tool by which to pound the body into submission and cause chaos in the, in the church. It takes humility and grace to operate in your gift. Your gift is the greatest weakness of your life. Because with your gift, you can operate it without the Holy Spirit, and it will still work. Does this make sense to you? It's very easy to get caught into doing well what you do well without God. Are you with me? This is why we need humility and grace. Because when we recognize our need for humility and grace, we recognize that our, our gift has to come underneath some sort of a covering of authority called humility and grace. Because when that gift operates under that authority, it's going to serve people instead of serve ourselves. Your gift, my gift, outside of the Holy Spirit will somehow manipulate its way into self-service. Do you know how many servants I've met in my life who are God-born servants? It's such a powerful gift. It's, it's not a gift that's, it, that's admonished or accepted by the, by the world, but it's an extremely powerful gift. Do you know how many servants I've seen in my life who get caught in serving people because it's the only way they can have a relationship with someone and then they become manipulable. And their strength becomes their weakness. And because they don't have a big place in the body the way the world says is big, it certainly is great in the kingdom because the least is the greatest. But because they don't have that platform and that place, they often feel like they're lesser of a believer. And then they begin to 
clamor for attention because they're prone to rejection. And then somebody who's more of a, an alpha individual in any gift sees that and can play on that and manipulate that. And therefore, their gift becomes their greatest weakness. You with me? So, we need humility and grace, but we need to understand the power of the gifts. One of the things that I feel like in the American church that is completely out of order and completely out of whack, and I understand why it got this way, but a pendulum shift to the other side doesn't fix the problem we're running from, is this idea that individual Christianity trumps the whole. Your personal relationship with Jesus is more important than the body. I don't believe that. I believe the importance of your personal relationship with Jesus. It's paramount. You have to have it. But you have a personal relationship with Jesus so that you can be a part of a body. Not so that you can sit there in your little place of life and go, well, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. Well, if that was the case, then why did Paul go to great lengths telling us that we are members one of another? Even so much so that he says, as you see Jesus' appearance coming, as you see the approach coming, gather together, bind yourselves one to another. You're baptized into one body. This renegade mentality where people use their gifts to isolate is the most destructive thing that can happen in your life. Because there's no accountability to your life. Your gift is running roughshod and maverick and you see the entire world through the lens of your gift. And the problem with that is, is that there are going to be certain circumstances and people and times in your life where your gift won't work. It will take someone else. I know we don't like to hear that. Because we're only used to submitting to our own opinion. Yet, ironically, we'll admit that our opinions has always gotten us in trouble. <laughs> At least that's the way it is for me. <laughs> Every time my opinion's gotten me in trouble. I understand why it got this way. In church history, there became leadership abuse. There became and idolatrous man worship. And there was a revolution, a revival, back to the individual presence. And we needed that. But we swung the pendulum far the other way, and then we took, we, we took the abuse of what man had done to authority and culture of, 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 the, of the church and the offices that God gave us, and we ran so far away from them because of fear of being controlled or abused hurt by church, that we actually shot ourselves in the foot in our own race. Because Paul says here in Ephesians that you and I will become like Christ when the five-fold gift has its full work in the body. Does this make sense to you? In other words, your completion in what you desire for your life is dependent upon another person. Your completion for what you desire in Christ is dependent upon another person. I know we don't like to hear that, but you realize as a pastor, I am absolutely locked and dependent upon what you do 
because there is no way in the world this is a one-man show. And if people don't do what they do, it affects the entirety of this ministry. If people don't do what they're supposed to do, it doesn't matter how well I do my part, it won't go forward. How many of you guys have been in a difficult marriage where one spouse is serving God and the other's not? How far does that relationship actually go? It doesn't go anywhere. See, we like to think that we're individuals and that trumps everything else, but everything else in life indicates around us that we need people. We just don't like that because we're not in control anymore. Does this make sense? Okay, so we need the offices. We need the gifts. In fact, Paul alludes earlier into the chapter that, that the reason we have these offices released to us is because Christ ascended over all things. It was his ascension over everything that gave him the authority to give gifts to men. So something got stolen from us in the beginning that was more than just our innocence. When Adam and Eve fell away, which Paul's about to allude to here again in, in, in the discrepancies he's going to deal with, with operating under the headship of these gifts. When we first fell away, it wasn't just our innocence that we lost. We lost our gifts. We lost the, the heart of an apostle. Do you know what that is? It's the heart of a father. It's the heart of a father that, that God releases to the church through the ascension of Jesus. What does it say in the Old Testament that, that in Malachi that, that what would happen before Jesus' return would happen? That he would release again his spirit, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children. You with me? There's something about being linked and yoked together in the Spirit of God. Without a body. See, that the, there was no ability after the fall for people to have a heart of a father, which is why he called Abraham to be a father by faith. See, the apostolic's the heart of the father, and you need that in your life. But how many know that if you have a good father, many times a good father doesn't always mean it happens the way you want it to happen. A good father will get into your business, not in a controlling way, but in a way that says, I want your destiny fulfilled. And right now, you're messing it all up. But people don't like that. And the moment that infringes upon their personal relationship with Jesus, they're willing to toss the father aside. The same thing we do in natural life. As soon as I turn 18, I'm out of here. Because we don't like constraints and restraints, yet, yet ironically again, as soon as we get out on our own, we want everybody to listen to us. It's so interesting to me that the people who won't surrender at least to a degree of growth for their uh, life under the fivefold gifts are the same people who want everybody else to listen to them. They're not willing to sow into a harvest that they want to reap. Are you following me? I'm not talking about demonic submission. I'm not talking about subjugation and a bunch of, you know, neo-Nazi spiritualism. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about people being abusive over you and telling you that you can't buy a specific kind of toilet paper. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a heart that's innocent enough to come and say, I need help in this area of my life, and opening it up, and the Father saying, absolutely, 
Somebody who has a father figure in your life saying, I will be there for you and pray for you and help you through this. You may not like my answers, but we'll go through it together. This is what we need. Because left to yourself, you're going to do things the way you see fit. And that's why you're in the situation that you're in. Do we understand the power of the fivefold gift? I don't think so, but we're going to attempt. Verse 11. He gave himself. He, he himself gave some to be apostles. That's the fathers of the church. Some prophets. How many of you guys know what prophets are? <laughs> How many of you guys really know what prophets are? <laughs> apostles and prophets are the two most difficult people to get along with in the church. <laughs> Hands down. If you've never really encountered a true apostolic man of God, a woman of God, or an apostolic prophet, whew, yeah, when they finally get into your business, it's never going to be what you want. In fact, the rest of the gifts get along with each other a whole lot better than they do with the first two. Pastors and evangelists have a very hard time with fathers and prophets. Because pastors and evangelists are very more, they're much more low-key and they're more for the people and encouragement and, and wanting things to go well and just always building people up. And, and there's times where things have to be cut off. And the pastor and the evangelist don't ever want to do that. In fact, if they see a prophet doing it, they'll say it's not from the Lord. Do you understand the strength of the fivefold gifts comes in trust of the unity of faith because God has established people to do a work that you can't do. And when you see them doing a work that you can't do, you have no right to criticize it. Well, I just disagree with that. You know why? Because that's not your office. That's why you disagree with that. You ever heard that in church? Well, I just disagree with that. Tell, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> In other words, it would all be good if we just turn it all over to you and let you run it, right? And it's gone so, that well in your life and your family, and it's gone that well in your business. And See, we need the body. There's things that people have gifts for that I have no frame of reference to. I, I, I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't understand. But they operate in it so well. And for me to try to take that over and be that and do that is absolutely just crazy. We need these people in our lives because this is what God gave us gifts for. The purpose of the offices is to grow the church. You understand what I'm saying? Without the fivefold gifts, the church doesn't grow. It just doesn't. Go to the next verse. Why did he give the fivefold? So every area of an office that you're not surrendering some sort of growth mechanism to, you aren't being equipped yourself. It, it takes a prophet to train you prophetically. An evangelist cannot train you in the prophetic. They cannot do it. They have no frame of reference for it. Even though an evangelist may occasionally give a prophetic word and the prophet may occasionally evangelize, it's not the thrust of their life. Does this make sense? Okay? There's a difference between the offices that God puts people in versus operating in certain gifts. Okay? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of 
Why are you supposed to be equipped? So that you can finally feel better about your super spiritual powers of Christianity? So you can finally be comfortable in your own skin and feel like I have a place in the, in the world and a place in the body? So people can elevate me and look at what I can do and what I can, what I can see in my life and how I'm working you know, this thing for the Lord? No, it's, it's to minister to other people. So if you want people to be blessed in your life, you have to be willing to be blessed by somebody else's life. For the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I don't have time to go into it, but I preached, uh, I don't know, well, it was over 20 messages, but we condensed them a few years ago into six messages, seven messages on sonship and the importance of that. And that's online. You can look at it any uh, uh, podcast streaming platform, search Proclaiming Jesus and go through and find those. But the, the building up of the body is absolutely imperative. Do you realize that there are two Greek words that are used for the word son in the New Testament? Okay. One of them is what happens when you're born again. And you can, you can see where the Greek words are used in the New Testament on every area of what it means to be that form of a son. And that one of, the, one of those words means an immature baby. And the other one means a fully formed, mature son of God. In Revelation 20, somewhere around in there, God says this, I will be your father and you will be my son. Do you know what word he's not using there? The baby one. So, we need to have the body built up. There are people in here who are born again, but they're immature. And you're not going to get mature without help. Does this make sense? We can see it in natural life, but we refuse to accept it in spiritual life. You have to train your children, true or not. If you don't train your children, what happens to them? They need you in their life. You need someone else in your life. I know we are self-drunk on our revelations. But your revelations, if they haven't changed you, were not revelatory enough. <laughs> if they haven't changed and shifted your marriage and your children and how you do life and business, then the revelation was nothing more than a tickling of your brain, of God inviting you into something. Yet you never took the invitation. See, what, what, we're, what we're focusing on, let's not lose the point of what I'm trying to say. We're looking at the book of Ephesians from the standpoint of chapter 6. Everybody wants spiritual warfare. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants to have this power in spiritual life. But see, Paul takes five chapters of preparation to get to one chapter of warfare. Actually, half a chapter of warfare. Because <laughs> he doesn't even start talking about warring in Christ and warring in the spirit realm and spiritual warfare until about halfway through chapter 6. But we, we put so much emphasis on spiritual warfare. How many of you guys have been to a conference on spiritual warfare? Wow, I'm impressed. Only one, two. You guys are doing, yeah. All right, no, I'm, I'm messing with you. There's, there, there's books and seminars and teachings on spiritual warfare, but you have to understand that how you live life is the greatest form of spiritual warfare you will ever engage 
How you treat your wife and your family, how you treat your husband, how you treat your children, how you treat people, how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ, how you do chapters 1 through 5 condition you in your ability to be able to fight when the war actually comes. If you have an unrenewed mind, you will not survive when the principality comes to your life. I don't care what you think. See, we are required to go forward, like Zach was talking about earlier. If we do not, then the enemy knows when he sees somebody stuck in a spot where they shouldn't be. It's recognizable to everybody. Let's just say you have a child who's six years old, and they look like a six-year-old. Are you concerned? But what if you have a child that's 16, and he still looks like he's six? Everybody knows it. There's a problem. And the enemy can see it too. He can see in your life, your fruit, your thoughts. He puts them there. He knows what, what you take and what you don't. All right. So this is why, this is why Paul's saying this in verse 12. He wants the, the, the saints equipped. This is why the enemy sows division in your life. If he can get you through superior Christian mentality to separate from a body, then you're not going to be equipped and you're going to run around your room shaking your fist at the devil, doing spiritual warfare, and then five, four, five years of that, you're going to wonder why it's not working. He wants to divide the body. He wants to divide marriages. He wants to divide families. He wants to divide children from, from uh, moms and dads. He wants to sow division and discord. Doesn't he? Because a divided house cannot. So he, how, does he, how does he sow discord? Through the tree of knowledge. You know what the tree of knowledge, you know what the only thing the tree of knowledge can do is show you who's wrong but it gives you no power to be able to breathe life into it. And so we'll divide in churches by, well, I just disagree with that. But see, the ultimate disagreement that you have is more, it, it, it's, it's more dangerous than you think because the division that you bring is far more dangerous than you being right on what you disagree with. Does this make sense to you? Have you guys ever read Paul's address to Titus? He says, mark those that cause division in the church and get them out. We don't hear people preach on that. When's the last time you heard anybody preach on that? <laughs> it's there because it's so, it's so damning to the church. Division. See, if division's present, the gifts can't flow to one another. Why? Because I cut myself off from you because I disagree with how you do your, your part. What about love covering a multitude of, of sins? How come, that, yeah, how come that isn't focused on? How come that isn't the first knee-jerk reaction when we see in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil who's wrong in, the, in our midst? The first thing that comes out of us that goes, I'm going to cover that in love. No, we launch an assault against the pastor or the leadership and start trying to create these little micro-communities of you know, who agrees with me and who doesn't so that way I can actually you know, uh, feel like I'm actually right so I'm not the only opinion involved. So you say, oh, they, they agree with me too. Well, congratulations, you just managed to grab a whole bunch of people who are eating from the wrong tree. 
That doesn't make anything right. See, we were never supposed to eat from that tree in the first place, but we're still doing it. We were supposed to eat from the tree of life. What I want to know is not who's right or who's wrong. Who can give life in the middle of all of it? That's who I want to know. See, I would rather be, I would rather be wrong and give life or be right and give life than to be able to be right and not be able to give life. All right, we're going to jump down. Um, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, these were given so that you might be equipped. How many want to be equipped? (laughs) How many of you want to be really equipped? You're going to need it. Why? Because something's coming in your life. Everybody in here, whether you're going through it right now or in the future, at some point in your life, something's going to hit you square between the eyes, and you're going to need an equipping. The problem is, is if you haven't gotten it before you got there, you're already you're already lost. You hear what I'm saying? You say, "Well, yeah, Jesus is with me. I absolutely is with you." But that doesn't mean that you've become like His nature. See, Jesus will follow you all the way into the wilderness, to hell, you know, figured to be speaking according to the Psalms, you know, where, where, where can I go to get away from you? Right? That doesn't mean that you're being formed into his image. That's the point and the goal. That's what the enemy is scared of. It's not anything else about what your revelations are or what you can know and do. It's about, do you look like the man? That's what intimidates him. And that's what he doesn't want to happen. So the enemy knows the power of the equipping and the unity and the structure of the body. And if he can get people to exit that through opinion and discord and unbelief and self-righteousness, then he's completed his work, keeping you from the image of Jesus. That's the goal. When you read this book and you read other places in the Bible, you come away with an understanding that I cannot be fully formed into the image of Jesus without somebody in my life. Do you realize you need enemies? Everybody's always upset at Judas is in your life, but those people are the ones that take you to the cross. And that's where you find your resurrection. And while you're complaining about it, God's trying to level you up and you're just not because you're so focused on the wrong that was done to you instead of your ability as a son to transform that wrong into resurrection. That's how it works. But if all we see is, that pastor hurt me. How many times have you hurt somebody else? Please don't live at the end of a one-way street making it all go your way. Like you're willing to level accusation on everybody else, but we do the same exact thing. Anybody in here not hurt somebody in the gospel before? Trying to do right? See, man, nobody's going to raise their hand. <laughs> Give some grace to one another. Give some grace. Give as much grace as you desire when you mess up. See, it's your job. You're going to be equipped and fitted for the work of ministry because it's your job to equip somebody else. 
But if you're coming into this process, and let's say you've completely submitted to the entire process, and then you come to a reality where now it's your turn to equip the body, and you get there, and all they're doing is accusing you because you're not doing it the way they want you to. You might be getting a little taste of your own medicine. It's terrible. How many of you ever had a word for somebody and you give it to them and they don't take it, they don't receive it? You're like, oh, oh, man. And then they turn on you and rend you. Like they they turn on you. I've had it happen so many times. See, every saint that does not take full advantage of the five-fold offices in their life, they they, they cripple their own equipping. There's so many broken people in the church because they aren't willing for the body to be what they need them to be because of fear of getting hurt. So their fear of getting hurt keeps them from being healed from the wound they desire to have healed. And I've said this all through this series, and I'll say it again, especially for those of you guys that are new, the body heals itself. So many people are praying that Jesus would heal something in their life that he's already made provision for in the body. God can't answer a prayer he's already answered. There's a gift, a calling, a person somewhere in here who has something in their life that could help you heal from something in your life, but you are afraid of being hurt again because the last person hurt you. At some point, you have to trust. And even if they hurt you again, if you renew your mind, you will realize that that hurt and that wound that they apply even the second time will do more for your good if you believe that it will serve the purposes of God in your life. See, Christianity is not about creating a God that keeps all pain from happening. Christianity is about making a man so like Jesus that when the pain happens, all that comes out of it is resurrection power. Verse 13, this will continue. This equipping, this is such a powerful verse. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. This fivefold gift is given so that we can all come to the unity of the faith. Does that say the separation of the faith, the division of the faith, the individualism of the faith? It's the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, an intimate knowing of who He is. You can't have that without all fivefold operating. There's a part of God you're going to miss if that part is not fulfilled in the body. How many want to know all of God? You're going to know all of God through his people. So many times I'm like, God, I want to know your heart. And he's like, well, why don't you listen to the person next to you who has it? See, we think this individual idea that I'm going to just go spend 10 hours on my face before God and I'm going to get his heart. Now, you're going to get his heart for your gift and your calling, absolutely, but you're not going to get his heart for the something you don't possess. The hand has to watch the foot in operation. It, it can't be involved. It has to watch. And it has to see. Wow, how does that happen? I just saw part of the heart of God released through you. Something I can't do. Or, how do you do that? 
And if it's all operating the way it should, they should look back at you and go, I don't know. How do you do yours? <laughs> I've been confused. Like, how do you do that? Like, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. But, but, but see, it's the individual gifts. That's why the devil's hell-bent on trying to make you feel like you're nothing. Yes. To a perfect man. How many want to be that? <laughs> I'm on my way. I need you to help me, all right? See, many times to get to where you need to be, it's not going to be the way you think it's, it's supposed to go. <laughs> my greatest growth moments was when I was trying to have somebody be with me, and they ended up stabbing me, and that's, that's what God used to heal me. See, to a perfect man, to the, to the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, do you understand Paul goes in order here? You understand you cannot read Ephesians backwards. He goes in order. We need to come to this fullness. Paul's trying to prep people for a war that's coming. You understand the Ephesian, the, the Ephesian church lived in, a, in a, uh, an empire of wealth and carnality and disgusting demon worship. Sexual sin, broad daylight amongst the, the uh, priests of, of, of foreign pagan gods. These people were the same people that when they got born again, they had a massive bonfire and axe and took all their curious arts and their witchcraft and burned them. Why? Because they knew the power of the spirit realm. Most churches don't. We just want to come in and go to church and have the guy be done by noon, which is not going to happen, and then all of a sudden leave. I'll try. <laughs> you guys know me. To the full measure of Christ. That's the work of the Lord. See, this is the entire goal of God. It's not to give you a new revelation so you can sit down with somebody over coffee and counsel them and make them, you know, hopefully look at you in a superior status of, of needing you in their life. This is to fulfill people's destinies that God paid for them. So that people could be of the fullness of Christ. The beauty behind the fivefold office, I said it last week, is that it gets you to a place that you no longer absolutely need the body, but you would die before you leave it. Yes. Does that make sense to you? Because if you ever come to this full measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ, do you think there's going to be anything in your heart that would want to separate from your brother? No. This is the goal. The entire will of God summed up right here in all the books of the Bible. That we would have his fullness. You with me? See, the enemy would love for you to step onto the battle line and have just a portion of Christ in your life. Because with the portion that you don't have, and I don't mean that you don't possess it, but you're not grown up into it. That's what I mean. And it takes somebody else to grow you up into that. If you have that place in your life, and that's his, that's, if I was the enemy, that's exactly where I would hit you. I'm not gonna hit you where you're strong. I'm gonna hit you where you're immature. If you haven't re re revolved your mind, re renewed your mind to, to, to move around Christ and, and, and him alone, 
then I'm going to cause you to misunderstand a trial or something that happens that doesn't go your way and make you feel like God abandoned you. That way, if that begins to happen, you're useless in the war. I don't have to fight you anymore. You will fight yourself to the point you beat yourself into your own grave, and you'll do my job for me. Next verse. We should no longer be children. Immature. You see what he's saying here? The fivefold brings us out of the immaturity. Selfish individualism keeps us immature. You have a child that won't obey the rules of the house, that's immaturity. That's going to hurt them later on in life. A child that never knows discipline and a child that never knows consequence is going to be very surprised the first time they feel the handcuffs click around their wrists. You can't do this to me. Oh, yes, you can. Because there's consequence. Something you've never learned. See, when you're in the house, God wants us to grow as children up into the full stature of Christ. What are children? They're tossed to and fro, carried about, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. Now, it's easy to sit there and go, well, that's that church over there, and that's that church over there. No, 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 no. This is a mentality in people that they apply to even good churches. Because when you've been hurt by something and you haven't been healed, the next place you go to, all you're gonna see is the same thing. And you're going to superimpose your pain upon something that's not even being said. You're going to see rejection when it's not present. Because you're a child and you're carried out with every wind that runs through your head. And you're going to make somebody else pay for what somebody else did. Somebody who's innocent. When you walked in those doors this morning, you brought all your church history with you. And much of it needs to be lopped off. All right. This is the plan of the enemy. So that word, cunning, you remember that from somewhere else in the Bible? In the beginning, the serpent was more than any beast of the field. See, the devil wants to be like God. And so if God works through people, then what's the devil want to do? Fallen heads. Misplaced theology. All kinds of wickedness that's allowed to go on through pain and hurt and, and, and rebellion. So how does the wind and waves of doctrine come? Through people. Through you, through someone else. You follow what I'm saying? All right. So being blown about is a sign that we don't, that we don't command, we don't realize we, com we command the storm. So somebody who's blown about is a sign that they don't command the storm. They don't know how to command a storm. You follow what I'm saying? Being blown about, tossed to and fro. How many of you guys know we're supposed to command storms? But how many of you guys know you can't command your own storm? See, think about it. When Jesus, was, when Jesus calmed the storm, was it his storm or was it the disciples' storm? 
Did Jesus calm his own storm? Remember Gethsemane? He had the power to? Did he? No. See, when it comes down to, to calming storms, you have to go through yours so that you have the authority to calm someone else's. Children don't go through those storms. They get knocked around, shipwrecked, hurt, wounded, divided, leave, offended. And they never gain the authority to stand up as a son to walk on somebody else's water, calm their storm, and pull them out of that boat and say, I'm going to teach you how to walk. That's what we're supposed to do. I can't call my own. I've got to go through my own. Now, if somebody's in my life, they can help call mine. What does that mean? Sometimes it doesn't mean uh, like the whole thing goes away, the circumstance goes away. But what happens is, is that somebody can come in and bring peace. Somebody can come in and still my heart and go, that God is for you. And I'm like, oh, oh, you have no idea what that means to me right now. You see what I'm saying? We have the ability to calm other people's storms. But if we don't go through our own, then we're going to be useless to someone else. All right. See, the, the cunning of hell always wants to bring to us something that seems like it's good. So one of the ways the enemy, here, here this is why I'm, I'm saying this, and I feel like this is why I'm saying this. When you get to the warfare in Ephesians 6, the last thing the enemy wants you to be able to do is efficiently stand upon what God has said in your life. So here's the thing. I want you to pay attention to me, please, just for a second. The most manipulable thing in your life is the love you have for God. Think about that. If I'm the enemy, all I have to do is highlight one area of your life that's wrong. And because you love God so much, you're going to leave your focus of Christ and run and attack that sin as much as you possibly can in your own strength. And you're going to try to fix that thing in your life because you love God so much. And you're going to fail. Because the sin you're trying to fix has already been finished. And the enemy has succeeded in getting your eyes off of Christ and onto the problem that's keeping you from Christ because you love Christ so much. And he removes you from your relationship with God by telling you that you have a greater relationship with your sin. No one has ever gotten free from sin by focusing on it. No one. The last thing the enemy wants you to do is disregard what he's telling you and all this sin that he's seen, showing you in your life. The last thing he wants you to do is go, yeah, you're right, but there's an altar for that, and it's got fire on it and blood. And that's where I'm putting it. And I love Jesus, and I'm going to keep my eyes on him. And I'm not going to let you manipulate me with my love for my God. You don't touch my love for him, and you're not going to manipulate it. It's a very cunning, tricking thing. For the enemy to know that the love that you have for God is the most powerful thing in your life. And if he can manipulate that away from the focus of Jesus, then what he can do is keep you from the Jesus that you want. 
Does that make sense to you? Have you ever realized that before? Think about it. What hurts your heart the most? Is it that someone hurt you, or is it when you finally wake up and realize you hurt God? How many of you guys had a moment like that in your life where you woke up and realized, I've, I've hurt the Lord? How many of you right after that just was like, it's okay, grace and blood are mine, and I am with Jesus, and it's okay? How many of you? One or two. Everybody else, it's like you spend the next two weeks trying to pay for that crime that's already been paid for. Why? Because in that, set, in that sense, you have a, a mind of a child that you do not believe that your father has already made provision for you. And you got caught in a wind of doctrine. You know what that looks like? The spirit of religion. That's the, that's the wind of the doctrine that the devil blows into your head. You've got to pay for your sin now because you hurt the one you love. It's very hard, isn't it, to, to receive forgiveness from somebody you love that you hurt. Like if you hurt somebody and they're like, it's okay, I forgive you. It's like there's a part of you that because you love them so much, you can't even receive the fact that they forgive you. You ever been there? But that's the problem. If you don't receive that forgiveness, the enemy's got you right where he wants you. He's used your love for God to keep you from your love from God. If he can use your sin to get you attack your sin because of what you hate and what it does to you and what it does to God, then your love for God is manipulated so fiercely that your focus is no longer on God, but it's on the sin that you hate. When that sin's already been paid for. Does it make sense to you? See, it's trickery to get you to use your desire for holiness to only make you feel all the less holy. How many of you want to be holy in here? And then when you, when, you, when you realize you're not, you feel all the less holy because you're focusing on holiness instead of Jesus who makes you holy. You grow up. And why is that important? Because whenever you're in a certain season of your life and you're confused and it's all blowing everything around, somebody can look at you and go, hey, it's okay. I've been through that same season. This is necessary in your process for growth. If you don't go through this, the next one's not going to make sense. You're okay. Yeah, but I've, no, that's the problem. You're putting you at the center of your story and not the king. You don't know what I've done, but you don't know what he's done. Well, yeah, I do. No, you don't, because if you did, what you've done wouldn't matter. Well, i got to pay for my sins somehow. Yes, through the sacrifice and the blood atonement of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Well, now i got to spend the next six months beating myself up over it. Why? So that the people you're sent to can have a bloody, bruised, good-for-nothing person when they show up? See, a mature son doesn't live in his desires. He lives in the desires of his father. And if the desires of the father are to set you free, then why do you want to stay bound? You understand what I'm saying? We have got to come to an understanding that we need the officers in our life. You need people in your life to help you get to the place that God wants you to be. Hey, Jared, throw that first one up there, that, that individual. See, this is what we feel like Christianity is, you know. And when, we, when we look at, you know, we look at, you know, the 
Ephesians 6 and the armor of God and, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm dressed in the armor. And, and I'll let you know, we always see ourselves as an individual. Do you realize that that's not how the Roman army fought? <laughs> but that's how we fight. Well, oh, I got my shield. Brother, I'm just holding a shield of faith. It's useless. What do you mean? It's useless if used improperly. Do you realize that Jesus placed us in two places? At the same, three places at the same time, but two places specifically at the same time. He placed us at the right hand of the Father, but he also placed us at the gates of hell. The church. The gates of hell would not prevail. That means we're right at the gates of hell. When the Roman army would come up to a gate, it would never be like this. Ever. Why? Because we've lost the idea that this is a corporate battle. We think this is an individual battle. My walk with God. No. It's our walk with God. Have you ever listened to the, the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray? I say this to my church all the time. You cannot start that prayer with the word my. If you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, you have to include somebody other than your own DNA. And if your prayer isn't for somebody that's not of your own bloodline, I fear you've missed the gospel. Because people in this room who are saved by grace are more family to you than your unsaved bloodline. Now we pray your bloodline saved. Amen. Bring it, bring it, Lord. But this is how we view life. And you know that the Roman soldiers' shields were uh, lined with thick leather. And they would soak that leather in water. Why? To extinguish arrows that were on fire. This is how we view this. Show the next slide. This is actually how, how, they, how they actually fought. <laughs> you see that? That's how they would approach a city gate. Do you think that when Paul was speaking to the Ephesian church that they got this individual idea when he said, having the shield of faith after he's already gone through five chapters of the need of unity in the body and the need of one another and the need of the fivefold offices and the need of the unity of the spirit bond of peace and all these things he's talked about and the unity of the faith of the marriages and the children obeying the parents and the unity of God. Do you think that they thought that this was an individual battle? No, he was talking to them with terms they could understand. And they knew that this is how the Roman army fought. There's one hole. There's one hole there. The entire thing falls apart. Each person guarding one another, holding the line, fighting off the lies. You guys ever gone through a season in your life where you stayed away from church and the longer you stayed away from the church, the easier it was to stay away from the church? And the weaker you got? I, I only know a handful of people who could actually survive in their faith on a desert island by themselves and be okay with just them and Jesus. However, they would never have any impact and they would never be impacted. And their relationship with God would stop instantly because you need people loving you, pressing you, hurting you, wounding you, helping you, healing you. You need all of it. 
You need a John in your life who's going to lay on your chest and listen to your heart as you go through the hard seasons. And you need a Judas that's going to backstab you. You need them both. Well, I don't want. Well, then you don't want some form of Christ. What do you say? The fullness. To have the fullness of Christ in your life, you're going you're gonna to be hurt. Did Jesus blame Judas? He gave him a kiss and called him what? You know, I have people say, well, I just want to be a friend of God. Judas was a friend of God. <laughs> you are his friend. Trust me. <laughs> You know, we say, oh, Abraham was a friend of God. Yeah, so was Judas. Yep. Stop isolating yourself from the Father. This is how they fought. This is how you, you're fighting. See, there's parts of the Word of God I just don't like. I wish they weren't there. Because naturally I am a loner. I don't need people in my flesh. In my spirit, though, I am highly dependent. Because my gift is so... Eh, without help, I do... I, nothing gets done. There, the tip of the spear is useless without the backing of the blade. I can't be the first one in the battle. I'm just a toothpick. <laughs> Snap that little joker off and I'm done. That's the way it works. I'll go, but I need you behind me. See, the enemy wants to attack your righteousness. He wants to pierce it. He wants to make you feel like you failed God, to manipulate your love for God. So that he can lead your relationship with God. Let me say it this way. If you allow the devil to manipulate your love for God, the enemy is in control of your relationship with God. Because all he has to do is wind you up and show you your sin again. And you're going to leave that secret place of being what you know you are in Christ. And you're going to go back and try to attack that sin with vehemence because you hate it so much in your life. And you're going to beat yourself to death for having done it and everything else. And you're going to feel separated from God. It's not going to cause you any life or hope or peace or wholeness or joy or anything else. And then guess what? The devil's got the Son of God on a little chain like a little puppy toy dogging him around. Every time he throws something in his path, he goes after it. He goes after it. And he goes after it when he should be sitting at the master's feet. I want to be his dog. See, if the enemy can't shipwreck your faith, and he's going to toss you back and forth so heavily that you're going to feel the need to calm your own storm. You're going to try to do that. It's not going to work. And then you're going to realize that the fact that, that, that your storm can't be calmed without somebody else in your life. What is, what is the Bible? Jesus says the sons of God are what? Peacemakers. We are called to make peace in other people. When you need peace in your life, trust me, sow it into someone else's, and it will come when you need it. Bring peace. Bring shalom to the house. 
Jesus says, if you find a house that's worthy, what? What does he say? He doesn't say leave his peace, does he? He says leave your peace. Well, what if you don't have any? Because <laughs> you're already running around chasing your sin, trying to be holy and trying to be good enough for God. Well, you've got to walk and rest. Leave your peace. I don't want to exit somebody's house and then, you know, go to God someday and be like, man, God, my house didn't have any rest. And God looks at me and goes, how come you didn't leave more? That's all I had. When I leave a house, I want it, I want it baptized in peace. When I leave your life, a counseling session, a prayer session, a sermon, I want you, I want you to walk away feeling like God is for me. This is important. We need each other. So why does he give gifts? And I, I, I don't have time. I don't have time to get into the fivefold and what their in, in intricacies are and how they work with one another and which one you might be and the different offices and different gifts and different hospitalities and service. And I don't have time to do all that. But I know this, that without your part in the body, somebody else is going to suffer. Why do you, you guys pay attention to announcements? Most people don't. <laughs> We've announced it every week, and everybody's like, that's this weekend? Poor Abe, I'm sorry. <laughs> if you noticed, there was something every night of the week, wasn't there? Why? Because we give you opportunity to be as much a part of things as you want to be. What was the, everybody wants to be all spiritual and stuff until they realize the first fruits of New Testament revival wasn't the 3,000 saved. Right? That, was, that just happens because God moves on people. The first fruit from the people, from the people's response to the move of God on their life, was they met together daily. They broke bread in fellowship. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. I mean, they, were, they lived life together. Because they realize the importance of holding shields with one another. And they realize we cannot grow with one another one day a week. We're family now, and we have a responsibility to one another. And I'll help you in the weakness of your gift, and you help me in the weakness of mine until we all become like Christ, and that my relationship with you has so furthered me in the gospel that I am now more like Jesus because I knew you. That's, that's how it works. Is this helping? Yes. All right. You can stand. I, I got close. Five minutes. It's better than last week. I went to like 1220. <laughs> Come back for home group. Part two. I, there's a lot I leave out because of our time constraints, and sometimes we do go over that. But listen, guys, this is not... We... The, the body... You, you, we've got to value one another. And it's going to be very hard for you to value one another if you do not value yourself or if you overly value yourself. If you can't see 
how God sees you, then you're not going to see how God sees someone else. I don't like it at all that my maturity level is dependent to some degree on you. <laughs> makes me feel so vulnerable. I'm like, God, I want to go all the way, but my brother's not. What do I do? You say, well, I don't know. I don't want to believe in that. Listen, the Bible says that David served the purposes of God for his generation. If, if, if I'm not, if I'm not, a teacher, if I'm not a, a prophet, if I'm not an evangelist, if I don't have gifts of service, then anything I start is going to be void of those things. And when they go out, those ministries go out, people are going to see the void, not the fulfillment, because people are trained to see what's wrong. They're trained to see the evil. They're trained to see the void. They're trained to see where it's not where it's supposed to be. You go into a church, which is the first, if, you, if you're visiting a church for the first time, it may even be here because you're, you're here this morning, but if you visit the church for the first time, we all do it. I do it. You do it. We all do it. We walk in and we start immediately recognizing what's wrong in the church. Every time. Well, I didn't like the worship. It was too loud. This guy preached too long. I don't believe in that. I don't hear anything. Instead of going, hey, guys. Like I was at a, I was at a meeting the other the other day, and the guy had a really good message, but it was just tilted. It was off. It was it was off the way he was presenting. It, it was off. It was a, it was a truth, but he presented it wrong, in the wrong way, and, and the way he was saying it was really it was it was important to be worded correctly. And it, it, and I, but I, as I was listening to him, I realized that man, you really need to say it this way. But I, I began to think, God, you know, I was there at one point in my life. Give him grace. I began to pray for him, give him grace to make this transition because you made it in my life. I was there. I was teaching this stuff from the wrong angle. It left a residue of, of the wrong thing, but it was the right truth. And I began to pray that God, God, get this, get this person to the place where you want them to be because they have a word. They have an anointing. The body needs it. Instead of sitting there criticizing my brother. You understand what I'm saying? We need one another. You need to overlook the faults in one another. You need to overlook the faults in your, in your wife and your husband. You need to overlook those things. And if you can't, guys, that's the degree of your spirituality you currently possess. If, the greatest, if, if, if your spirituality is, is focused on what you think is right and wrong, you have a very weak spirituality. Very weak. Because even the devil can come in and do what you're doing. You have no greater ministry than the ministry of Satan to point out people's wrong. It's not prophetic. It's arrogance, actually, to think that, you know, well, I know better because it's my way and my gift. and my, it's, it, God gave you that gift to serve people, not to usurp people. Does this make sense to you? But value one another, the gifts, the offices, the ones that rub you wrong. In fact, I would say the ones that rub you wrong are the ones you need to press into the most. You want to grow? Man, find those people that you really have a hard time loving and just start loving them until God gives you that love for them. Because it's easy to, 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 it's easy, it's easy to, to, to gather yourself around the pastor and the evangelist because they're always like, yeah, you can do it. God's awesome. You know, when the prophet comes and says, you need to cut this out of your life but it's something you want to keep. <laughs> I think I'll go to lunch with the evangelist this afternoon. 
true. It's what we do. Because we don't value what God values. If you can't value the things that are hard on you, then you go, you're not valuing a part of God himself because that prophet carries the heart of the Father. It's a part of God, like it or not. That apostolic person carries the heart of the Father, like it or not. I, listen, I would love it for it to all be rosies and everything else and good and blah, blah, blah. But it's just not the way things are. There's a battle. There's a war. It's hard. Your love has a limit until you encounter God again. And God will send you that person that will show you the limit of your love. Maybe me. Maybe that's why he sent you here. <laughs> My wife thinks I'm lovable. But, yeah. Father, thank you. For the gifts. And we ask you forgive us, Lord, for not valuing them the way that you do. And for the arrogance of thinking that the way we would do it is always the right way. That in fact, many times you allow things to not go our ways, to stretch us and to show us where we need more love. That I, and I actually believe that there, Lord, there's certain times in our life where you allow, you even hide yourself from speaking. Like you, you won't speak on a certain issue just to, just to put somebody in a corner so that they're trapped <laughs> in this place where they have to learn how to love because you want them to grow. And you don't do it because you're punishing. You do it because you longed, your heart longs for us to be like Messiah, Jesus. That we've been given the full measure of the DNA of God through the blood. But we have to grow up into a full a full person that we would be equipped so that when we're equipped, Father, we operate as one, that when we get to the battle, when we get to the place where it's hard, when we get to spiritual warfare, when we get to engaging powers and principalities, that they find no holes in our armor, that our shields are linked, they're locked, covering one another front, back, and side. Jesus, you even say that, 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 that our relationship with you is affected if our relationship with our brother is affected. You said if you, if, you have, if you realize that somebody has an offense against you, go to them before you even come to me. Put, leave your gift. Stop serving me in that moment and go make it right. And then come back to me. This is how much you value people. So I, I, I'm, just, I'm not going to have you do it now, but I just want to encourage you today, today, before, before the end of the day, if there's a relationship in your life, within your marriage or your kids or somebody in the church where, where you know you've, you've, you've held on to something that, that maybe hurt you or whatever, go make it right. So that way your, your, your vertical can be restored. So the, 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 the shields can be linked together again. We can stand in the righteousness of the Lord, one another, and, 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 and rejoice, rejoice in the different gifts that God has placed. And if they do it wrong, then, they, my Lord, all the more reason to come up, come alongside him and say, hey, we're going to clean this mess up. We're, we're, we're going to, you learned, we're going to clean it up, we're going to do it, we're going to get through this, bro. We're, it's going to be okay.
we're in this together. This is, this is a corporate ministry. Father, release that kind of love to us. We will love each other as much as you love us. This is how the world will know we're, we're your disciples. So, Father, bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them. And give them peace so they might be givers of peace. Train their minds. Help them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.